Mike Rags and Todd Burlich with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk, it's the Blue Gold Report. Well, welcome back. It is another Blue Gold Report podcast. I am Mike Rags. Going to bring Todd Burlage in here in a second. I do want to tell you that the Blue Gold Report is brought to you by our good buddies over at D.O. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. Uh, and of course, wherever you download the podcast, make sure you rate us and you share us and tell all your friends about us. Got another great show. A lot more football coming your way. I know it's off season, but we're getting busier and busier as we get closer and closer to summer practice. More recruits coming in. It just never ends. It's like an ever flow of a river coming right through South Bend. It's uh, kind of like the St. Joe. Uh, last week, we uh, Todd gave you the all-offensive Brian Kelly team. Today, he's going to give you the all-defensive Brian Kelly team, and we're actually going to kind of get a state of the union from the offensive coordinator, Chip Long, after spring practice. He's going to let you know his thoughts on how the team is sizing up. So a lot of good stuff to get to, including some transfers and um, and other goodies. Of course, we got our blue-gold nuggets, but let's bring him in right now. It is our good buddy, uh, Todd Burledge. Todd, how you doing, man? Doing well, Rags. How you doing, sir? Not too bad. Of course, Todd from the uh, the Blue Gold Illustrated, lead writer for the Notre Dame Irish. And I brought it up a couple of weeks ago, Todd, uh, but uh, today's the day, and this weekend's the actual day that the uh – the Matt Anthony's are going to uh, um, honor Brian Kelly out there in Fort Wayne, so that's good stuff. And that actually happens over the weekend. Uh, so there'll be, I think, there's a golf outing tomorrow, dinner tonight, and all that stuff. And, and very important, uh, he gets a he gets a jacket. It's not quite the green jacket of the Masters, but he's going to get a coat. So yeah, that's gets, pretty cool. Gets the red coat. Yeah, I'm from Fort Wayne, so I certainly remember the Matt Anthony. It's a great event. It is a great event. So congratulations to Brian Kelly. All right, Todd. Well, you know we got a lot to do, and, and we're going to hear from Chip Long later on. I'm interested to see. Your off, uh, your defensive team, uh, as opposed to last week's offensive team, for some reason this seemed in concept more difficult to try to figure out. Am I wrong? Um, no, a lot Actually, more candidates. I yeah, thought, a lot though, more yeah. candidates. And what was interesting is when we did the offensive team, not a single active player made it. But defensively, that, there's a change. handful. Yeah, there's a handful of guys that are still playing there on line, this team. Certain linebacker, I would hope, is uh, in there somewhere. Um, hmm. uh, <laughs> I don't have any blue gold nuggets, so I can't wow you with any triple crown information here. <laughs> so this is all Todd, all the time. To- all the time, Todd. What do you got? All right, let's start with the roster. We've been kind of talking about it really week to week. How do they get to eighty five? How do they get to eighty five? And slowly but surely, they've gotten to eighty five. Junior to be linebacker David Adams. I'm sure most people have not heard of him because. Uh, uh, he's been injured throughout his entire career here. He was a four-star recruit in the class of 2016 coming out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Actually was had a heck of a high school career. Um, he is retiring with a medical exemption so that, that he was the 86th player. So he's out, gets the roster to the proper number of 85. This kid's been through a lot since he's been here. Concussions. He's had a surgery on both shoulders. Uh, tore his... Uh, Tore the UCLA in his elbow. Had to have surgery on that. Bad tendonitis, bad shin splints. Said it was a really tough decision, but uh, it certainly sounds like it was the right decision. So David Adams is out. He will keep his scholarship and finish school here. Uh, But that gets Notre Dame's roster to 85. Can't do your blue and gold nuggets without Kevin Stefferson coming on board here. He's by far the most frequent flyer of this. Uh, He pleaded guilty (laughs) this week to conversion. This is this is stemming from the shoplifting incident right. out here at UP Mall when he stole sweatpants. He was sentenced to 30 days in jail, 25 hours community service, and 180, 180 days of probation. Um, again, that stems from the shoplifting incident last December. But that's not all. It gets a little bit better for Mr. Stefferson. Um, because he still faces a marijuana possession charge, speeding and driving without a license in Marshall County. So he still has to uh, fess up to that. He actually missed a May 1st hearing in Marshall County because he was serving a 180-day jail sentence in Fulton County for a probation violation. (laughs) Never stops. (laughs) Possession of pot. And that was from a 2016 incident that we all remember where the five guys were arrested um, with the handgun and and all that good stuff. And on a related note, in talking about that particular incident, Tavon Coney he also, in a plea agreement, uh, was in court this past week. He was in that car, possession of marijuana charge. 
he was given one year probation for his involvement in that. So that's that's the final chapter of that incident in 2016 with the five guys. And he's going to play like there's no problem, right? Correct. Yeah. Yep. yep. They, I know Brian Kelly wanted him to get all this cleared up. He has gotten it all cleared up, and that's it. That's the last chapter in this. All five guys have um, been sentenced. And didn't and, he lead the team in tackles and tackles for a loss? I think he was one of the team yeah. leaders. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He had 100 plus for yeah, sure. Yeah, he was crazy good. It, it was uh, really surprising that he came back. I mean, uh, right. Jerry Tillery and Coney, for them to for Notre Dame coaches to get those two guys back is going to make a huge difference on that defense. Probably their uh, two or their three best players. Uh, and finally, Athlon released its four deep All-American list, and four Notre Dame Irish are listed on it. Center Sam Mustafer, he was a he was uh, one of four centers listed. He was ranked number four of those four. Defensive lineman Jerry Tillery, he was a fourth team defensive lineman. Uh, Sixteen of those were chosen. Tavon Coney, he was a four-team linebacker. He was one of 13 linebackers chosen. And Julian Love was a third-team cornerback. He was one of only seven cornerbacks chosen. So that was your all preseason All-American list for Notre Dame players. We'll see how that holds up. I do have one more. I got one. I, I forgot. I, I, I had one, too. You so I, I, I lied. No, Unless no, yours no, is the same as mine now. No slacking off. Actually, I have a really mini one after this one. But JMI Sports, it's Notre Dame's new media partner when it comes to radio and football coverage. They are parting ways with Alan Pinkett and Don Crickey. Uh, that was the voice of the Irish radio style. Um, Pinkett had been there since 2001, and Crickey since 2006. They worked together for 13 years uh, JMI said they want somebody local, and they mean very local because Pinkett's in Valpo. Did you audition? Oh, God. <laughs> a couple people suggest that I do so, actually. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, Pinkett lives in Valpo, Cricky in New Jersey. Um, it's going to have to happen fast. I mean, yeah. the football season's closing yeah. quickly, you know, so we'll see how all that plays out. And well, Notre Cricky's Dame. has been sounding kind of rough the last few years. I know he's been battling some health issues and stuff like that, but uh, I always got used to listening to him. Uh, and then you had Jeff Jeffers, unfortunately, passed away. Yeah. He was on the sideline there for the longest time. So it's a total, it's going to be a whole new team yeah, now. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Cricky, uh, 78, and Pinkett, 54. Wow. Yeah, is that? Oh, he's 78. Oh, wow. I would have never guessed that. He he was losing. I mean, half the time, I'm sorry. I don't. I, I respect him. Yep. I respect his career. But yep. he really was losing it. He, he couldn't even half the time figure out what team he was watching. Yeah, I mean, it was bad. I know. He was having uh, Jimmy Clausen throw into Rocket Ishmael and all kinds of other crazy <laughs> stuff. And, and finally. Uh, it's not funny, but, you know, yeah. No Notre Dame players were picked in the NBA draft. Oh, man, that was mine, man. For the second straight year. You took it. Sorry. Hopefully Bonzi goes as an undrafted free agent. There was one guy from Indiana who got drafted, and that was Purdue's Vincent Edwards. Nobody else from any other Indiana school got drafted, and then he got traded. He got drafted by the Jazz (laughs) and got traded to the Rockets, which is an upgrade. He's going to one of the better teams in the league, so good luck to Vincent Edwards. But you you took my nugget. Sorry about that. That's I know okay. Bonzi's been working out with some teams, obviously still recovering from his foot surgery, but uh, a team that's shown a little, quite a bit of interest is actually Golden State. It's too bad that new NCAA uh, football rule uh, about the playing four games, and then it's too bad that like isn't a college basketball rule where yeah. you play like seven games or something like that, because then Bonzi would have had last season all over again. That would have been kind of nice. That's a good point. I wonder if that might be around the around the bend sometime. You never know. Uh, you know, the, the season's a little longer, so how much longer yeah. do you give these guys to not get hurt that's yeah. that's the real question we're going to hear from uh, chip long here the offense coordinator of course for notre dame see what the state of the team is in his eyes a little bit later on and we'll we'll, we'll break down well todd will break down his all brian kelly defensive team and you know todd every day in the news it seems like uh, notre dame is signing another new recruit coming in and just getting deeper and deeper and deeper yeah, two more this week, including another four-star offensive lineman. This cat is a real deal. He's drawn a lot of comparisons to uh, Quentin Nelson when he came out of high school. 6'4", 280 pounds already. His name is Zeke Coral, C-O-R-R-O-L-L. Um, he, Like I said, he's four-star. He's um, He is the third four-star offensive lineman in this 2019 recruiting class. Um, so they're not missing a beat when it comes to... Uh, uh, to loading up at that position, as they obviously have for a long time here. Tom Lemming calls this Coral kid, said he's, uh, he, he is the one that actually compared him to Quentin Nelson. He said he looks exactly like him coming out of high school. He says that Notre Dame, so far in the 2019 class, it's the best offensive line haul in the country. He also thinks it's the best in 30 years at Notre Dame. And That's he's, scary. And he has been around for a while, obviously, recruiting analyst and expert Tom Lemming. 
Um, so just to give you an idea of, of Coral's value, and, and he picked Notre Dame over home state, Ohio State. He's a Cincinnati kid. Clemson, Stanford, Michigan, Penn State, just to name a few. He made his official visit over the weekend. I thought this was worth noting. First of all, he's the number 9 offensive guard in the country and the number 5 player in Ohio, so so pretty powerful stuff there as well. He made his official visit over last weekend and then committed almost immediately as he left campus, as did three-star running back Kyron Williams. Um, he is from St. John Vianney High School in Kirkwood, Missouri. He's a three-star running back, but he's really on the on the go. He's rated as the number 19 running back in the country, 5'10-201. He was also in town for a weekend visit here and committed Took Notre Dame over Missouri, Stanford, Michigan, and Michigan State, just to name a few. He rushed last season. He rushed 119 times for 992 yards and 22 TDs. He's versatile because he also had 51 receptions for another 774 yards with 12 TDs. So this kid can kind of do it all. Some of the recruiting services are rating him as an athlete. Others are calling him a running back. Whatever the case may be, it's another good get. It's an interesting get, too, because this is the 11th straight player that they've gotten over Michigan. So they've all the, the offer sheet for both Notre Dame and Michigan. This is the 11th straight player Brian Kelly has gotten away from Jim Harbaugh, which is, you know, there's been a ton of players that they both could have, but this right. is just like an interesting string. There's been 11 in a row now to take Notre Dame over Michigan. That's an interesting point for sure. And and I, I, what's, what's going on with Notre Dame, they're really playing this right, right? There was a new recruiting calendar put into place by the NCAA, and for the first time, kids are allowed to make these official visits between the months of April and June. You, typically, you couldn't do this. You could go to a camp. You could visit. So Notre Dame has kind of beefed up these weekends, these recruiting weekends, put together a lot more recruiting events for the parents and the kids. And because of that, five of the kids that have come to these weekend recruiting visits during that time frame we're talking about, they've committed like the day after or the day of that they they were on campus. So uh, it's Notre Dame's playing this new rule very well, and they just seem to get better and better when it comes to recruiting. They now have 15 2019 kids. The class is ranked number three by 247 Sports behind only Alabama and Texas A&M. So really rolling along there. We talked about the defensive line last week. What a great job they're doing on recruiting there and the offensive line as well. So uh, certainly looks like Notre Dame is in line for a top five class. Unbelievable stuff. And uh, again, I brought it up last week. I want to win in November a little more than I want to win in May, June, July. But you know what? Uh, We'll take it. That's for sure. And I, I don't remember them being this deep. This ahead of the game in quite some time. Uh, former coaches, I, I just don't, maybe we didn't report on it and I didn't keep an eye on it, but it just seems like they're overly aggressive to make sure they get these, you know, three, four star recruits. Yeah. And you're worried about Harry Heastan leaving, mm-hmm. you know, what was going to happen there? Mike Elko leaving, what was going to happen there? And, and they just haven't missed a beat, frankly. They're, they're getting all the positions of need. Um, and then they're kind of filling in the blanks around it as well. But I think that's what I like. They, they were really focused in on some positions, offensive line. They're going to lose some guys. Defensive line, you can never have enough of those guys, obviously. And certainly they're thin at running back. So I think I think what they're doing really hitting their target area and filling these with wonderful players. Well, we've got we've seen a lot of changes now, Todd, with the transfer rules. Now they keep adding stuff, and uh, ever since uh, uh, just the last couple of weeks alone, it just seems like there's more and more stuff that we need to be talking about. Um, where are we stand now? What's the latest thing? What's the latest transfer rule that we need to be t- talking about here? Okay, this won't go into effect, so you won't see the, this play out at all. We before talked about this. the four. We talked about the four games, which I referenced the last mm-hmm. time last week. So I know there's more. Yeah, last week we talked about how you can play four games and still save your preserve your red shirt year. I thought that was a great one for the kids. And this is designed also to help the student athletes. What they're doing, again, it starts in October, so you won't see it playing out anytime soon. But in previous years the NCAA allowed coaches to kind of block a kid's transfer to certain schools. Right. Some would even block the kid's transfer altogether. I, I was trying to remember before you got here, Rags, it seemed like Charlie Weiss was really playing hardball with a guy one time back in the day that wanted to transfer. I think ultimately Weiss led him, but it was a little bit of a grudge match and allowing that kid to do so. And typically what you'll see happen is coaches if a, an opponent's coming up on a future schedule they won't let those kids go to those types of schools and whatnot. Well, the NCAA said you can't do that anymore. If a kid wants to transfer, 
All he has to do is tell you he wants to transfer. They're going to put all the names into a database once they once they're, it's announced. It's free agency, basically. Yeah, exactly. And so all the coaches can kind of scout that database. Oh, <laughs> hey, this might be a good fit here. Yeah. Um, and I mentioned this to you last yeah, week. I was the, ri- ask you. The, the rich are going to get richer here. That's how I look at it. You know. Explain. Well, I just think that they can cherry pick now out of out of that database that they're going to put together. They can pick uh, fill holes that they have in their in their uh, on their team that a girl, you know Nick Saban certain recruit didn't pan out the way he wanted to. Well, let me dive into this uh, database here and see who we can grab. Oh, this kid from Missouri State Tech it <laughs> wants to transfer yeah. and he he fits what we need. And I don't know if the other schools will have the wherewithal to get someone this late in their career to commit to their team unless they're going to win. So the winning teams are going to have that. Advantage. Advantage. Yeah, and you made a good point too, Rags. We were kind of talking about this off air last week a little bit when the when the rule came out, and you had mentioned that you think that the mid majors are going to be in trouble. You know, when you get a kid, a recruit that maybe slip uh, slip through the cracks a little bit, right? And he goes and he starts lighting it up at a mid major school. What's going to stop him exactly and he, and from his, going into that database? And, absolutely. And his next step is, hey, I can get in the pros. What better way to get in the pros than play in top ten games my next senior year and go somewhere where I'm going to be on TV every week? I'm, you know, that kind of stuff that is going to play in the minds of these students that they can just say, you know what, I want to go to Alabama next year. Yeah, you better be good enough though to crack that lineup True. at the same time. True. I mean, if you if you ended up at Ball State, you have to make one hell of a jump to get from Ball State. No to, doubt about. To it. on the field at Alabama. No doubt about it, but uh, I, I could just see greener pastures in these kids' eyes, sure. and, and, uh, and you know, it's it eliminates a, process, a step in the recruiting process for the major teams to be like, you know what, we don't have to recruit, we'll just wait till they're seniors and see who's going to drop yeah. out. You know, that, that just worries me a little bit. I, I get it. it we want to make it as fair as possible for these athletes that aren't getting paid to maybe advance their career and do something great, but it worries me a bit. You know, it's interesting because... The grad transfer now has just become such a popular route for these kids, you, you know, and, and it's really interesting. And I know this isn't exactly what what this is. This is different. Sure. This is a full blown transfer where you still have to sit out your year. That will not change. And that should be like that, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. But the grad transfer has given kids another avenue that makes it easier to move on. And but I think this does it well. But at least that incentivizes them to graduate sure. from school. So that you know what they're there for, essentially, you know, in Pollyannic, you know, but uh, but what they're at least they got the incentive. I won't miss a year if I just get my credits and graduate. Then I can go where I want. Yeah, exactly. And I love that rule. It's just it's interesting to me how that's being played more and more and more. I mean, if we would have been sitting in this radio studio doing this show five years ago, we would have hardly been talking about grad transfer. And now you have half a dozen kids every year from Notre Dame taking it, and you also have kids from other schools coming to Notre Dame doing the same thing. It's incredible. It really is. Uh, and and it, uh, is there something else that came down the pike too? Or is that is that all the, you want to bring up? Those are the two. Those are the two yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the four game uh, redshirt deal, and now this uh, this rule where the coaches and administrators can't stand in the way of kids that want to transfer. I'm just worried about the Power Five conferences here just loading up. That maybe I'm. Maybe I'm too skeptical on that, Todd, but uh, we'll see what happens. Um, all right, so you wanted to start breaking down some of the opponents we have on their schedule. Uh, I say ours. I mean Notre Dame's schedule coming up. And you wanted to bring up uh, uh, kind of like from worst to best, who their best uh, yeah. competition uh, from worst to best is. You know, a lot of people, the, the early prognosticators, I, I talked to a lot of people, 9, 10 wins, 8, 9, 10 wins, somewhere. And that's an easy prediction to make. But once you look at the schedule, it might not be that easy to get there, Todd. Yeah. Well, and obviously, what we're going to do, we're just going to do one per show, one point per show, and this will this should get us right to about the start of training camp. So I was this trying is to do the, the math. Twelfth best team. So there's twelve teams are playing. You're ranking this one as probably their easiest opponent. Yeah, I would say Ball State. Yes, indeed. They probably Notre Dame will probably be a five touchdown favorite in this. It's the first meeting between the two schools. Um, Ball State has not had a top 100 recruiting class here in the last, oh, since 2014 when they were number 95. Meanwhile, obviously, Notre Dame has been humming along here, top 15s across the board during that same time frame. Ball State last season started out okay. Actually, they played Illinois very tough. They were beaten 24-21 in that game, but then they beat UAB 51-31 and Tennessee Tech 28-13 for a 2-1 and start. All sounds good and dandy. Then they lost their last nine games. Ouch. Yeah, so they finished 2-10. and ten. Uh, Not too hot there. Um, UTEP lost 12, all 12, and Kansas lost 11 in a row. So there were a couple teams worse than Ball State on the losing streak front, but not too many. Um, they actually they lost their eight MAC games by an average score of 48-12. to 12. 
That's not good. No, so they really weren't very uh, competitive. They were 121st in scoring offense. Uh, they didn't even get to 18 points a game, and they were 124th in scoring defense, <laughs> giving up more than 40. So that's kind of the bad news for Ball State looking back. I suppose the good news is their quarterback, Riley Neal, and their running back, top running back, James Gilbert, they're both back. And uh, Gilbert rushed for 1,332 yards two years ago. He was hurt last year. So a little bit of something to build on right there. Um this is obviously a breather game for Notre Dame, uh, similar to UMass in 2015, Nevada 2016, and Miami, Ohio last year. It's just kind of a – it's it's uh, September 8th, so it's week two, and it's just kind of a chance to catch your breath after, mix, uh, after Michigan and see where you are. But certainly when you're looking at this, uh, Ball State is picked to finish last again in the 16 West Division of that MAC. Um, last year, the team that finished fifth in that same division, Central Michigan – they beat Ball State 56-9, to so this team has a long way to go under 30-year coach Mike New, so we'll have to wait and see how it goes. But certainly when you're talking about an easy game on Notre Dame's schedule and the 12th most difficult game on Notre Dame's 12-game regular season schedule, I think Ball State certainly stands out as that. All right, we're going to break down uh, the defensive all t- all defensive team for Brian Kelly here in a second. Uh, but first, uh, Todd, we wanted to throw in uh, Chip Long's kind of post spring yeah. uh, State of the Union address for his offense here. Um, give us some uh, things we should be keeping an ear out for while he's talking here. He really hits on a lot of topics. Now, keep in mind, folks, this is before the spring season had completely ended. So if you hear some references that sound a little awkward, just remember, I think they had about a week to go still. So when he's talking about certain positions and and guys that maybe haven't quite figured out exactly where they're going to play, maybe that's been settled a little bit better since then. But I thought it was interesting because he hits on so many topics. He talked about Avery Davis, the third-string quarterback, who's really turning a lot of heads at running back and wide receiver. He's going to see some playing time, probably not as a QB, but certainly somewhere else. Talks about the the off the work on the offensive line. You know, you lose two guys in the first round in the top ten uh, of the NFL draft, and Mike McGlinchey and Quentin Nelson trying to shuffle that around and replace those guys. Just kind of what's left strategy wise, what the coaches want to see during the offseason defense or uh, defensively. Yeah, Alize Jones work, the running backs, the quarterbacks, and, and one of the big themes during spring ball was trying to teach this team how to work through adversity, and they did, they pulled a lot of tricks and 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 trying to sort of spice up practice to where these guys had to had to face some of that, be it noise, you know, be it just uh, speed, surprises, those types of things. So he addresses that as well, Rags. Got a couple guys, um, Jafar, Armstrong, and Avery Davis, sort of, you know, a little experimental this spring now that you're three and a half weeks into it. What have you sort of picked up from those guys? Yeah. Answer questions there or so on? Well, definitely Avery. He, he's an explosive young man who, who picks things up really quick. Um, has really good in- instincts as a as a route runner when he's out there, and you can tell that you know by playing quarterback, you always like that. Um, make guys miss. He's he's really kind of surpassed my expectations. Really, this last week, he's probably been a more explosive player on our offense than we've had. Um, Jafar was doing well when we first started, then um, you know he's been hobbled with a little um, with an injury, so hadn't really got to see much of him um, the last few practices. But you know he's another explosive big guy. And um, who is good with the ball in his hands? So the more he gets healthy, um, we'll be able to get a good evaluation. Um, they got a good overall knowledge of what we're trying to do. Um, it's just still just giving them repetitions. They can play fast and play more confident. With Avery, you know, maybe the quarterback share, I'd imagine buy-in has to be a big part of that. Mm-hmm. How has he been in that department? It's pretty good. He's scoring a lot of touchdowns, so I think he enjoys that. You know, that always helps. Um, a lot of it is designed when he's in there that he's going to be touching the ball. Um, or the ball, he's going to be the number one read or, or give in that scenario uh, during spring ball, obviously. And uh, just to keep it simple with him, because he is having to go back and forth. But um, until this, this past week, he, he's been really, really Chip, exciting. I'm sorry. How are you using him? How do you mean? Davis, I mean. Yeah, you know, he'll be in the backfield running back, a receiver, and then when our threes are up, he'll, he'll get um, some quarterback reps and whatnot. But um, the last few practices really – Done a great job at receiver and running back for us, you know, and he's carrying a lot. And um, but you kind of see the confidence in him, the speed coming off the ball, and the power he's running with. It's been exciting. Are you, do you open up a, another aspect of your offense 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, we get no doubt. You know, that, that kind of hurt us last year. You know, that was a big part of our offense and spring ball, fall camp, you know, when the backs, you know, got knocked out and, and hobbled. We couldn't use that part of our offense, and it, and it hurt us. And just having the ability with more depth back there with those type of guys, you know, instead of just being Tony, now you have Avery, possibly Jafar when, when he gets healthy. So nobody can, injuries can't take us out of that um, personnel. Your evaluation been of your tight end group so far this spring? Really good. You know, um, Colt lost out with the older guy, um, Alze. He's done a, a really, really good job. Probably the most consistent he's been since I've been here, um, just in everything he's doing. Um, he hadn't had a bad day yet, um, which is which is good. You know, and as long as he concentrates on just daily devotion to his craft, you know, all the things he wants will come his way. Um, Cole Komet has been outstanding. Um, obviously, you guys know he's double duty. So, I mean, just last Saturday, he has a big scrimmage and late to his baseball game, and he goes and beats Clemson. And um, so, you know, and he's done a great job of just not, you can kind of see some days where it wears on him, especially last night. They came back from, um, what, Michigan State, I guess, and, uh, or the other day. So, it kind of wearing on him a little bit, but he's been extremely consistent. Um, you know, by staying with us all last fall, you can see where the carryover has been big for him to really blossom this spring. Um, Brock is finally back, you know, dealing with the shoulder. Um, so he has to get his conditioning back. He's those guys have to move around quite a bit. But he, he's coming on. He's going to be a good player. And um, just the rest, we got to get healthy, you know, and, um, and keep those other few guys alive till we get done with spring ball. Chip, what are your impressions of the different offensive line combos and do you feel like you're honing in on one that you like in particular? Yeah, I do. I do. I think we got a, a good feel for where certain guys are going to be and where they can be to be successful. You know, it's been frustrating at times, but I think by moving guys, finding the right spot, it might be frustrating in spring, but overall um, throughout the year it's going to help us a lot. And uh, getting different guy exposure and then being able to finally settle in where we can have experience to help some of the younger guys. I mean, we're going to be young on offense, which is fine. Um, so we want to try to do the best we can where we can put an experienced guy next to someone, say, first time starting um, up front. But they're all big, athletic, and, and physical. So just the more reps they get, the better they're going to be. But um, I have a, you know, Liam Eikenberg coming on this spring has been huge. And uh, he's just getting more and more confident every day. Now he's going to be a young guy, so he'll, he'll make some mistakes. but. You know, he's finally just turning it loose and playing hard, not thinking all the time. Um, Alex Bars has probably been as consistent and as a good player on our offense we've had all spring ball. Really proud of him. Tommy Kramer has done a great job going back and forth at guard and tackle just to keep that with him. Um, Hainsey's really settled in these last two weeks. And then you got Josh Lugg, Sam, and, you know, Trevor Rulon was playing as good as anybody. So we got about eight guys right now that we can play winning football, and Aaron Bates had his best week. So, you know, most places I've been, you might have six or five and a half guys. Um, it's, it's nice to have this depth. And um, we just got to get them more mature uh, up front. And, uh, and that just comes with time. But there's good talent there. Is Liam the guy that you think is going to end up at left tackle? Yeah, I do. I do. His length and size really gives us an advantage out there. Um, and then today we had Alex Bars playing left guard for us just to give him a veteran guy right there to take some off his plate for, for calls and stuff. You know, uh, Tommy Kramer and Hainsey, they, they've been on the right side. It keeps Tommy in a right-handed stance that he played with all last year. And, uh, and those two have been with each other and, you know, attached to the hip for a long time, try to see how that works these next few days in spring and just kind of move forward. With Tommy inside, right? Mm-hmm. So what goes into your decision to, when you got Hainsey on the right side and Eichenberg on the left, does Eichenberg have a little bit more length? Yeah, yeah, like you know, with your quarterback's blind side, you want to have a little bit more length, a little bit more girth, so someone just can't bull rush the quarterback from behind. You know, if he's getting bull rushed from the right, Brandon can still see it with his vision and take off running. You know, so you always want to have a little bit more length and size at that position, if you can. And where do you see Hainsey's game heading after splitting time last year? I think he's really come on these last two weeks. You know, it was a little bit of adjustment for him. Um, the left side, which was good to get him exposure for emergency situation. And, um, but he, he's playing really solid football for us right now. What are some you had to basically pull for a 
calendar year now? Where has he kind of grown as you have? As we still count on him to grow. You know, um, obviously he's a he's a great talent, but you know, like a few other guys, they gotta they gotta come on and find out what's important for him. And um, the moment he decides that, he's gonna be a, a big time player. You know, the shoulder kind of held him back a little bit. So he's kind of getting the flow of things, but you know when he decides he wants to be great, he's going to be great. What is his What is his strength right now? Is it what we see? Seven on seven, catch the ball with the tight. It is, you know, and he, he's a powerful guy. You know, he's good on the perimeter and blocking. Um, he's a strong runner. Um, if he has some space, um, but you know, high pointing the ball, he, he's done well at times, and just being more consistent, right, with your craft, and don't be disruptive. You know, a lot of being a tempo offense, you can't have guys out there who are having to. You know, help get lined up in certain situations, especially at tight end. You know, and um, so the moment we can get that settled down, it'll be great. What are some maybe new wrinkles that you've been able to add in this spring? I think it was maybe the bowl game. You were saying you were excited just in year two to be able to add more stuff. Yeah, well, I mean that's a secret, right? I don't <laughs> want to give all that away. No, I mean we every spring we're always going to tinker with new things, um, especially in the fall, uh, pass combinations, things that can help Brandon our quarterbacks. Um, a little more, um, our receivers, and then kind of build what we need for our first part of the season, who we're going to play against, and, and kind of build that. And then just fi figuring out pieces or certain guys who's gotten better this offseason, who we can count on. You know, it's been a just a bigger thing for me is who can we count on, you know, when it's game eight, when guys are getting banged up, all right? Who, who's going to be able to go through that grind, you know, that hurt us last year? And um, so that's the biggest emphasis for me. And, you know, being year two, it's helped. We've able – the knowledge of our offense is really good. The guys know it. They can explain everything. It's just the consistency, and that comes with a young offense that we got to improve on um, every single day. Keep putting them in tough situations where they can fight through, where they can get frustrated and learn from it. You can't – we can't do enough of that. And Coach Kelly's done a great job of putting those guys this spring into, you know, some no-win situations where they got to figure it out. And, um, and I think it's been good. And then how they're going to react and learn from that. So – you know, we're going to play in some big-time ball games this next year. And with a young team, we want those guys to understand how to handle that situation before we play. You had talked, uh, I guess, maybe last year just about your relationship uh, with Harry and guys, I guess, on Walker campus and stuff. Right. Is there somebody else now that you lean on or to – Well, it depends on what kind of practice we have. If it's a good practice, some of them will walk with me. It's a bad practice. I'm probably by myself. But, uh, no, I, I drag Coach Alexander out of his office to come walk with me. And then try to get Coach Quinn right now, but he's so trying to catch up with everything right now. And um, so it depends on the day, really. And with Quinn in the new role now, how have you just seen him? He's doing a great job, doing a great job, you know. And, and Jeff was with me and the tight ends all last year, so we had a great relationship. Um, he's done a great job of taking that room and, and, and molding those guys. I mean, we have a lot of young guys who are playing really well right now. So, I mean, that's a testament to him. and getting those guys to believe right now and play hard. And, and he's doing a great job on the recruiting trail for us. So very, very impressed with Coach Quinn. You mentioned Alizé's consistency this spring. What do you think has kind of spurred that for him? You know, it's his last year. It's your senior year, right? There's, you, don't, you don't get another senior year. So it's time to decide what kind of player you want to be, what kind of legacy you want to leave, and, you know, if this game's important to you. And it really is important to him. And he's, he's done a great job. I'm, I'm extremely proud with with his growth, and there's, you know, it's not a surprise that he's playing really well for us right now. And, uh, and he sees that, and now he understands what he has to do daily so he can stay at that level of performance. Chip, how, how close are you to having coming out of spring with a lead running back? Do you have, feel like you have a lead running back? Yeah, I feel good with those top two. You know, it's just getting those other young guys um, where we can have a, a big rotation, where we can have a staple of guys that, you know, we're not missing a beat. But, you know, Tony and Dex have done a, a very nice job growing this spring, being consistent. And uh, so I feel very confident right there with those two. Now it's just getting the young guys more reps back there, which is fine. And, um, but they had the talent and the speed, those young guys. It's going to be it's going to be a good, solid group. Dexter Williams has remained healthy. He has. And as far so has Tony. As, I mean, I know there were times where he wasn't a complete back in terms of. No, he's, he's, he's really embraced that. You know, and he's working at it every day, and it's just like anything else. I mean, you consistently daily have to have to hit to believe in it, and it's making him a better running back. Um, he's catching the ball well out of the backfield, and, and he's been a good leader for us. He really is, bringing great energy to practice, and, you know, it really hasn't had a, a bad bad day. Tony Jones said to us the other day, he said a couple of times that he wanted to show himself as more of a leader. He doesn't seem real outspoken. 
Can he play that role? Is he, do you see him trying to play that role? Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm. It's, it's fine that he wants to be that way. Um, I'd love that for everybody, but, you know, let your game speak for yourself. Right. And um, and I think if he takes care of that, that naturally will happen for him. Um, he has a great personality. A lot of guys look up to him. Um, he could be a natural leader, but I tell him just let that come in time. Focus on your game, what you can control, and naturally the more plays you're making, the more guys are going to listen to you. But I like him taking, wanting to take that yeah, leadership role. That's good. That's a good thing. Doesn't speak out too right. I got fooled by your pause. I'm sorry. Um, with your quarterbacks, what do you need to see from those guys in these last few practices? Just keep coming on. Keep coming out there with confidence. Um, keep being consistent. See how they handle all the you know the tough situations we put them in. Um, what their decision making is in those times, and um, just keep building on those guys and um, dude, with their confidence. You know their confidence is growing because the receiving core is playing. Well, everybody in the skill position is making contested catches. You know, I think last year you can count on one hand how many one-on-one contested balls we made. I mean, this year it's, it's been good seeing guys, you know, lay out, making plays for the quarterbacks, and that builds his confidence and, um, and everybody on the offense. So that's been good, but just the consistent and tough situations, how are they performing, what are their decisions in those situations, and, and then not making the same mistakes twice has been a big deal these last week and a half for me. And specific with tough situations, what do you what are you trying to get at them dealing with pressure? Pressure in the pocket, you know, we're on the sideline, a bunch of two minute situations, um, a lot of situational football, um, just where they can be calm in that and show that they're calm, not panicking. And uh, which I think they've done a nice job, both of them, really just from last year. I mean it was a lot of panic situations and this time they're Calm and confident in there, and um, and are making making solid situations uh, in, decisions. In, excuse me. In the bowl game, were, were you upstairs? And no, I was okay. on the. Okay, yeah. and Tommy was also downstairs. Mm-hmm. Okay, is that something you think that you'll want to continue? It doesn't. It doesn't matter to me. It's really what Coach Kelly wants. Um, at the time, he wanted Tom down there just with our quarterbacks, with the communication and stuff. And you know, we had certain packages in that bowl game where both were going to play. And um, so just to help take confusion out. But, you know, in a perfect world, Tom would be upstairs, but it's, it's what Coach Kelly wants. Have you seen any separation yet between Brandon and Ian? <laughs> no, I mean, they're, they're both playing really well um, right now for us. Um, you know, Ian struggled a little bit early in the spring. He's come on a little bit late. Brandon's been really solid. He has. Um, you know, my biggest thing for him is, you know, what, under the light. And that's why we've been extremely to try to create that as much as possible. And um, he's definitely better locating the ball. He's more confident back there. Me and him can talk football so much better now, and he can see it. Um, so that, that, that excites me. But, you know, they both had their, their good days. There just hasn't been an awful day. And that's, that's really good to see, in my opinion. Chip, with, like, creating those pressure situations for Brandon, is that one of those scenarios where, like, you're not really going to know until September 1st. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's the same thing with Liam Eikenberg, you know, yeah. Tommy Kramer at guard. So it's not just for our quarterbacks. You know, our young tight ends, Cole Komet, you know. Um, it's just going to be some young, you know, Michael Young, Miles Boykin, first time really taking on a, a role. And, you know, it's a lot of it's designed for the quarterback, but it's also those other guys. Yeah. And um, but yeah, I mean that's what makes the game so fun and exciting. You just you never know what's going to happen. Somebody might surprise you. Um, but I think the more if they can consistently perform in this situation, you have a pretty good idea how it's going to be how, on game day. In these practices, how are you trying to create adversity? Well, a lot of times, you know, team. Most of the time, I usually script it. Well, I don't anymore. Just so they don't have all day where they know their plays, they can go through their situation, their raise. Now it's game like, speed of the moment, and um, and the same thing with off- young offensive linemen. I mean, I want to know what plays I'm going to have so I can just go over it all night. You know, um, a lot of our run play action I'll script just so we're getting our our installs and all that taken care of. But when it's team, we're all off the field and they got to go play and play with tempo and um, be able to communicate. And that that's. One thing, just every single day we've been doing. Now, other days, Coach Kelly will have you know a lot of two-minute situations into the game. We got to score. We got to get a first down. 
for those guys and, and really putting in, piping in some loud music where, you know, they got to be able to focus and, and perform. Everything was sort of scripted last year, though, or like... Yeah, you know, year one, we had to get our install in. They had to learn the offense. These guys have a good base of the offense, and um, now it's time to get out there and play and as much as they can without the coaches on the field helping them out. That's offensive coordinator uh, Chip Long there talking about the state of the offense heading out of spring ball. Todd, uh, after all that, what's your biggest takeaway there from from this team? When Alizé Mack came to Notre Dame, I thought he would be the best tight end ever to leave Notre Dame. He's underachieved in the classroom. He's underachieved on the field. And it sounds like he has his head on straight. This is his last go-around, Rags, and he is an NFL talent and then some. So to hear Long say that Alizé Mack went all the way through spring ball without having one single bad practice and had his head on straight and was one of the most consistent players on the field, I think that bodes well for both the player and the team. That's great stuff. Uh, Good job done by you to get that for us. All right, Todd. uh... Last week it was the offense. This week it's the defense, the all-defense Brian Kelly team. Now, just so we refresh people's memory mm-hmm. here, the rule was they had to have played at least one year with Brian, or two years with two Brian years, Kelly. Yes. Okay, so uh, it didn't necessarily have to be recruited by Brian, but they played under Brian Kelly for two years. You want to start in the backfield or up front Let, here? Let's start up front. Um, and this is, boy, this is a solid... Uh, I went I went three four. Couldn't quite decide how to organize kind of defense, this defense. I got yeah. you. Yeah. yeah, so it was a little bit tricky. So I was kind of just trying to put the best players out there. Uh, but let's start up front at one of the defensive ends, Stefan Tuitt, probably the most logical pick on this entire list here. He was a beast, an absolute beast at defensive end. He had 126 tackles, 25 of those for loss, 21 and a half sacks, which was you know I mean nobody's even come close to that really. Um, certainly the best defensive end to come through during the Brian Kelly era. There's no doubt about that. Bob Diaco did a good job of coaching him up. He was just, you, you couldn't block him uh, by the end of his uh, career there. And he only, he lasted three years here and then moved on. And no reason for him not to, that's for sure. Moving on to nose guard. I thought Lewis Nix, Irish chocolate. He was a great player too. He could just stuff the run and, and you just couldn't move him out of there even with a double team. Uh, he had 122 career tackles, 14 of those for loss. I don't know that he ever reached his true potential at Notre Dame, but, but what he did reach was pretty close. Um, you know, he was awesome in 2012. He was injured in 2013, so he only played in eight games. But for as big as he was, absolutely had incredible quickness. He was a great player. I don't think I, I couldn't leave him off the team. And I mentioned players that are still on this team that are uh, that are on the current team, but also on Brian Kelly's all-time team. This was a little tricky because you, you look at Eshaq Williams or a Sheldon Day. But I am going to just almost on projection, I'm putting Jerry Tillery at the other end or kind of the three-technique tackle over there on that on that right side because I think he's going to have another bust-out year. He was really solid last year. And when you look at his numbers, they're, they're pretty good. You, you, you wouldn't really necessarily guess that he has 105 t- total tackles, 14.5 for loss, 5.5 sacks. Um, his numbers and days through three years – Certainly, we're right on pace. That's why it was a little bit tough to choose between these two. Uh, Day had an excellent senior season. I expect Tillery to do the same thing and then be a nice uh, NFL draft pick. Smart kid, too. We've talked quite a bit about Jerry Tillery, and I think rightfully so. I'm interested, you you know, when you get to the linebackers here, and uh, I, I can't wait to hear... Because um, they've been pretty high profile over the last ten years, I would say Brian Kelly's stance, and one of them's in the pros right now. And I would hope that you know, a, kind of a local kid, if you're listening in Fort Wayne, I would hope he'd make your uh, your defensive team here, Todd. Well, let's just start right there, Rags. <laughs> <laughs> he better make your defensive team. <laughs> right. we'll, we'll we'll lose some listeners if he doesn't. Yeah, Jalen Smith, certainly 2013 through 2015, all over the field, 284 career tackles, 23 and 23 and a half of those for loss. Four and a half sacks, had a pick, three fumble recoveries, and was asked to do so much because they were a little bit deficient. So he even spent a season playing out of position, and I right. thought that was important to note because even with those big numbers that he put up, certainly uh, you know he, he wasn't always in at the spot where he should have been. So, well, look uh, who his defensive coordinator was. That could be part of the problem. Yeah, because he had go. Van Gorder there, who was basically lost at Notre Dame for a couple of years. Yeah, no doubt about it. So he even played through a lot of that. Hopefully, you know, obviously, when you think of Jalen Smith, you think of the bad knee injury. 
Hopefully he can continue to recover from that. And Had have a, a solid year last year yeah, for Dallas. For, for his first, yeah, for his first go-around, I would totally agree with you. Uh, another player that is still on the current team that is also here, another guy that came came back for with Tillery is Tavon Coney. This this dude, he led the team in tackles at 100-plus last year um, at linebacker. 190 for his career, 13 and a half of those for loss, three sacks, fumble recovery, forced fumble. He is a heck of a player, and this is such a blessing for Notre Dame's defense to have him back. And they can really build around him. He's athletic. He's into it. They were kind of a little bit worried about his head, but but he he is, like I mentioned earlier, for Brian Kelly and the coaching staff to be able to lure Tillery and Coney back. That, that, that was, those are probably the two best recruits for the 2018 class, actually. And of course, if you're gonna and talk, you throw in Tranquil in there too, and then uh, you know you got how about that? Yeah, I mean, you talk, and the reason why there's current players on Todd's list here, a lot of people are you know looking ahead that Notre Dame's going to have one of the best defensive in the league coming up this year. So this is not hyperbole. This is real stuff. These guys are really good at every layer, you sure. know. Because yeah. event, you know, eventually, I'm going to talk about Julian Love here right. in the secondary. He's he's an All American as well. So yeah, and you have it at all three layers, and I think that's that's key too. Uh, Manti Teo, you can't talk about Notre Dame linebackers without talking about Teo. He was here from 2009-2012. Obviously, Charlie Weiss recruit, but he did play a couple years under Brian Kelly. 437 career tackles, 34 for loss, 8.5 sacks, 7 interceptions, most dominant linebacker. Probably most he was the most decorated linebacker in the history of Notre Heisman Dame. Heisman finalist. Yeah, and perhaps even in all of college football, in the history of college football. How but, much do you think those two weeks with the national championship and what happened, how much do you think that takes away from his legend at Notre Dame? I don't see how it could. I no? None to me. I mean, that was just a personal issue when you're talking about the catfish scheme and, yep. and, and that type of thing. I, I can see how people would, you know, he was certainly getting called a flake by a lot of people. So And, and, he, I, I, and he didn't play. I mean, he was there, but he didn't do anything that championship yeah, game. you're I mean, right about God, that. Now that we know the story, you could probably understand why. But coming up that small and for that reason, I don't know. Now, me personally, I, I don't know either way. But I wonder if there are fans out there sure. and people that, that, you know, do this for a living that say, you know what? He was great, but... Let's knock them down a notch because of this. Of course, and and I hear people do it. As a matter of fact, you know, unfortunately, but the thing about Tao, he a linebacker willed that team to the national yeah. championship. I mean, you just don't see that. Typically, it's a quarterback or maybe a running back, a, a gifted wide receiver, somebody like that. You don't get it from a linebacker that's making game changing plays when you need them. No, he wouldn't have been he wouldn't have been sitting there in New York City if he if he didn't will that team to a to a potential almost borderline on the edge of a championship. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was quite a special season, and and just the, his leadership qualities. Obviously, you, you better mention those if you're talking about Manti Teo. Speaking of leadership qualities, how about a two-time team captain by the name of Drew Tranquil as my fourth linebacker here? Two guys from Fort Wayne on Todd's list. I mean, how about come on. that? Is he a homer or what? <laughs> <laughs> Both well deserving. Uh, you know, Tranquil. Obviously, fought some injuries and whatnot, but he's really hit his stride the last two seasons and, and has have been forced to move around. I mean, actually, I'm putting him in a position yeah. that he's never played. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I couldn't leave him off the list. I couldn't leave him off this team. I just think he's that gifted of a player. You know, he goes from safety to rover last year, which is kind of a hybrid linebacker safety position. But, you know, 206 tackles, 16 and a half tackles for loss, a couple sacks. Four recovered fumbles, three interceptions, which tells me that he's always around the football. A lot like Manti Teo. He makes these game-changing plays that, that uh, the great players do. That's what I love about Drew Tranquil. Talked about the leadership qualities of Teo. Again, Tranquil just does everything right. Um, already a mechanical engineer that holds that degree in hand. He just does everything right. He's one of the neatest kids that I've ever met here moving through Notre Dame, and I wish him all the best. And, you know, he's playing his way, I think, Maybe even up to before the start of last year, I don't. I don't know that anybody was kind of putting him in any kind of NFL draft projections. Right, right. right. But certainly another good year is going to get him in that position, and good for him. He's going to have a busy summer. He's going to get married as well. So that's next month, as a matter of fact. Where's my invite? I know. So far, I don't have anything yet. <laughs> uh, let's move on to the secondary. I mentioned Julian Love, so we'll start right there. This kid is awesome, man, and he's only a junior. He's got 113 tackles already at the cornerback position. Wow. Mm. Three for loss, four picks already. He's scored two touchdowns and 
blew the Notre Dame record away last year with 23 passes defended. I don't even think anybody else had double digit in that category. That That's was great. by far a record at Notre Dame. Um, so he, he's obviously one. He's one of the best DBs ever to move through here, and he's going to have a monster year. Um, I kind of I had to cheat a little bit on this because this, <laughs> the quality of the cornerbacks, when you look at Brian Kelly's time here, really far outweighs uh, the quality of the safeties. So another cornerback here, Kavari Russell, he had a great year. He had a great career here too. It was a little bit quiet because he had the suspension mixed in there and whatnot. But he left with 169 career tackles, seven of those for loss, sack and a half, five picks, and 12 passes defended. That should give you an idea on the, on the number that Love had, uh, 23 passes defended already, and Kavari had 12 for his entire career. Um, so a couple great players there. When you move on to safety, here's where I cheated a little bit, because I couldn't leave Robert Blanton off this team, 2008 to 2011. He was he was just a playmaker and a half, a really gifted Gifted guy. Now he could have played safety, but they used him at corner. He actually plays safety in the NFL, right? So that's why I decided to cheat a little bit and move who was playing corner out of need to safety position. Um, Blanton, he had a hundred. He was a big hitter, man. Not only was a great pass defender, but he would he could light you up. He had one hundred ninety four total tackles, nineteen and a half of those for loss. Impressive there. Had eight interceptions, one touchdown, broke up ten passes. So. uh yeah, good stuff there with Robert Blanton. I loved watching him play. He's one of my favorites. You know, so a couple guys on this list that perhaps could have, you know, I, I looked at Zeke Mata. I thought he had a great career. Yes. Matthias Farley was a good player as well back there. So I kind of looked at those. Those would be a couple honorable mentions. But finally, Harrison Smith. He is he, he's a true, you know, he played some linebacker, but safety as well. I'm putting him in safety, and I would call him the best. Probably, he's got to be one of the best safeties ever to play at Notre Dame. Certainly doing well for the Minnesota Vikings now on, on the on the NFL, the professional end. He had 307 career tackles. Very impressive stuff there. 18 and a half of those for loss. Three and a half sacks. Seven interceptions and 20 passes defended. So a very good career right there for uh, Harrison Smith. And that rounds out my top 11. Another guy, Cole Luke. He was another steady player. You didn't hear a lot about him, but he he really had a nice uh, a nice career here too. He was never injured and, and mo- moved right through. So... That's pretty solid. So you have Tuit, Nix, Tillery up front, Tranquil, Teow, Coney, Jalen Smith, linebackers, Julian Love, Robert Blanton, Julian Love and Kavari Russell as the corners, and then Robert Blanton and Harrison Smith as the safeties. Good luck moving a ball in that, that, that 11 pack. So if there's a poster child looking at offense and defense now, if there's a poster child for Brian Kelly that epitomizes the Brian Kelly regime mm-hmm. right now, who would that guy be on the mantle? Is it Jalen? No. Who would you put? I mean, pick from either side. Now, who would that guy be? Quentin Nelson. It's a good I, pick. I would take Quentin Nelson. I, yep, I just would. I think if you wanted to go defense, if you're forcing me to go defense, since Harrison Smith didn't play all four years under him, I, I think you would have to go Jalen Smith. I really do. I'm kind of scanning these names again. And Nelson makes the most sense because of how strong the offensive line has yeah, been under yeah. Brian Kelly. It's really been the forefront of what he's done here over the last nine seasons. Yeah, so. I certainly factored that in. All right, Todd, great job as always. Uh, the Blue Gold Report brought to you by D.O. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. We'll do it again next week. Remember to rate us, like us, share us, do whatever you need to do wherever you download this podcast. Todd, I'll see you next week, my All friend. All right, my friend. This has been a presentation of Optin Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.